Hello everyone and welcome back to the Film Score Podcast. I know you're all waiting, hoping, wondering when Season 4 is going to come out, and I can tell you, it is just around the corner. And I actually wasn't sure whether it was going to relaunch soon, or if I'd still give it a little longer, and a few things kind of fell into my lap, and I figured, oh, let's get it going now. So, that's going to be very close on the horizon. But because it's going to be the early days of Season 4, feel free to shoot me a message, leave me a comment, get in touch some way. Let me know if there are things you'd like to see added to the season. Always looking to see how I can make the show better and more enjoyable for you, the listeners. But today, I'm going to be doing my quite tardy quarterly recap. This time it'll be film scores from April through June of this year. And yeah, I realize we're already in September, so a little behind the times, but maybe there'll be ones that you haven't heard or ones that you haven't heard and we're looking at April, maybe five months, five and a half months. So the first one here is How to Blow Up a Pipeline by Gavin Brivik. The premise of this film is several young people, as the title says, going to blow up a pipeline because they feel like resorting to violence and destruction is the only way that they can make a difference in fighting against climate change. Gavin's music really channels that feeling, that feeling of having no other option, of this pent-up anger. It simmers early on, but you can feel this undercurrent of rage and frustration. It feels so developed, allowing it to avoid the close but yet so different feeling of an angst, where it doesn't feel earned or it feels juvenile. Here, it's this righteous fury. It's also just tons of tension. I mean, this is a tense, tense score as well. And he achieves it through this like really interesting palette. I know, for instance, appropriately, some of the sounds are done through oil drums, barrels. I think sound design from the desert where a lot of this takes place. It's all... Just a super interesting, really effective score. I think it makes Gavin a composer, I hope, to watch in the future, because this was a great entry. He did a score maybe two years ago called Indian, I think, which was also very good. Got a little bit of attention, pipeline much more, and I'm hoping that that continues. Next one that caught my attention is Bo is Afraid by Bobby Krillick, a.k.a. The Hex and Cloak. This is just a, a very strange score. There are moments where it's dreamy, but can also be quite unsettling and nauseating. And you sort of float through it in this, at times, dream world, at times, nightmare world. It's an interesting approach because it's not in your face. There's a restraint there, and yet it's still just as effective because it it pulls you around, it screws with your insides, with your emotions, with your state of being. 
Colin Stetson's score for Hereditary, Ari Aster's first film, is excellent. But I've also really enjoyed these two collaborations between Krillick and Aster. But I was afraid, and then of course Midsummer from, I want to say 2019. I'm hoping that Aster directs more than once every few years, and that this collaboration continues because it has very interesting results. One score that I wish really got more attention, it's strange it hasn't, is Nicholas Bratel's score for Carmen. And maybe it's just because it feels like the film itself didn't really get much attention when it released, or frankly, to me it felt like it released and nobody knew. This is an incredibly elegant, beautiful score, with a number of vocal pieces throughout it as well, with music that I believe that Brittell wrote too. It's this type of conflict or tension of, I don't want to say a forbidden romance, but of the fight for love and of romance and, and to make it happen and work. And so you have these feelings of love and of emotion of romance, like there's an assault against them. Really mature darkness that weaves its way throughout Brittell's score as well. Another really lovely, more symphonic orchestral score is Chris Bauer's score for Chevalier. And I think it's probably the best Bauer score that I've heard so far. It is a really great period classical score. And I think this is the type of music similar to when he had the chance in Green Book to flex those muscles, because I think that's where Bowers is strongest. He doesn't always have the chance to work in that type of genre. But I think the real highlight of the score, unfortunately overshadowing Bowers' original score, is that there are several classical-style compositions from Michael Abels that, again, also fit into this period. And, unfortunately, I don't know if they were done for the film or if they were pre-existing pieces from Abels, but they're excellent. Now, as we're getting close to October, I'll touch on a couple horror scores. Renfield from Marco Beltrami is really cool because it very much leans into the style and some of the humor of this film. So it has this sort of throwback jazzy feel, a dark jazz that you may have heard in, in films or horror shows several decades ago at least. There's a lot of groove in there too, and there's even some kind of tongue-in-cheek musical horror elements as well that altogether create something that's horror and it's dark, but not scary. Beltrami's having fun here, and it's certainly the most fun I've had listening to one of his scores in quite a while. And right around when Renfield came out, The Pope's Exorcist came out with a score from Jed Curzel, Evil Dead Rise came out with a score from Stephen McKeon. Both were really cool, both lean more so into the more atmospheric, screeching, scraping punishing sound of horror film music. Very fitting for something like Evil Dead Rise. The Pope's Exorcist is interesting because, in one sense, it is a straightforward possession film. 
and Kurzel's score really fits with that. But it's also a bit of a silly film, especially with Russell Crowe's character. And I kind of like that the music ignores that entirely. It makes his character seem even more eccentric and strange. And now moving away from horror, I always get excited when I hear a new Daniel Hart score. I remember talking to Nima Fakrara, this was like two years ago now, mentioning how much Hart can do in these smaller films. I think at the time we were talking about The Green Knight, which is a beautiful looking film, isn't, you know, a micro-budget film or anything, but isn't a blockbuster either, and it has this incredible score. And Nima said, Daniel Hart is not a film composer. Daniel Hart is an artist. Obviously, he's not saying that, and I'm not saying that to condescend composers for film, but it's something that comes out in every piece that he does. Every score he has, at least that I've ever heard, and I've heard quite a few of his, are these just exquisite pieces. Peter Pan and Wendy is very adventurous, which I think is a little different from him. It stems from The Green Knight a little bit, but the sense of adventure is much stronger here. But of course, the tone is a bit different as well, maybe more than a bit. There is a, a hint of the sort of epic darkness representing the great evil of this world that they're coming up against, but it's also quite a bit whimsical and playful, embodying the fact that we're following these characters, our children, our younger folks. I listen to a lot of scores for children's films, and quite often they can play down to their audience. And this is one that takes its cast, its audience, incredibly seriously, and approaches the music with a sense of maturity and dignity that is just excellent. Another fantasy score is Lorne Balfe's Book of the Bard, which is music inspired by Dungeons and Dragons' Honor Among Thieves. Interestingly, this is actually a film that's had three different releases now. The score itself a release of some songs that are used in the film, kind of tavern songs and things like that. And then Book of the Bard, which has some similarities there too, but I really love this. And sometimes I can be hit or miss on Balfe's music, and this is just truly highly leaning into the medieval fantasy world, and it's a ton of fun. This is the type of stuff that, fittingly, put on the next time you play D&D. Perfect fit for it. And an even better relief from Lorne Balf was Tetris. I think the downside of this is maybe it's a little too long, something that I think we're seeing more and more from scores in general. And I'll flag a couple more that have the same issue, where they went from 60 to 70 minutes to 40 minutes. It would be excellent listening experiences. But Tetris is so cool because of how well Balf handles the retro synth sound that's used throughout. Of course, it's a movie that takes place, I want to say, in the early 80s, and so the music is extremely fitting for that. 
I think the highlight of that, if you really want an extremely delicious taste, is not to listen to the score release, but instead to listen to the soundtrack album release that came out slightly earlier. And that has two cues from Valve. Both incredibly good. A lot of fun, really groovy, very distinct, memorable synth work. Some big scores that came out are big films. One, John Murphy's score for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, there's some really cool, wacky moments, like the Orgoscope Elevator, and there are even some really mature, sobering, somber moments as well. Kind of elevate this above pure popcorn fare and make it have an emotional heft, an emotional impact, as if it's actually saying something. And now, there's of course a controversy of Murphy coming in when Tyler Bates did the first two films, and as part of that, I think there's a slightly different palette. Some prior thematic material is not really used as much. Frankly, something that you run into with a lot of these superhero films, particularly the Marvel films. So in that sense, probably shouldn't surprise you. Now, a superhero film that uses a ton of thematic material is The Flash by Benjamin Walfish. Now, this is one that, again, it's like 80-85 minutes long, typically way too much for me, but it actually flew by when I listened to it. And I think it's in part because Walfish creates good thematic material here, great melodies, but obviously at this point most of you should know that the film is one of these multiversal superhero films. So it pulls thematic material from 35 years of films. And of course, some of these going back to like Elfman Batman scores, incredibly memorable, iconic pieces that Wallfish manages to weave through. And it, and along with one other score that I will mention in a moment, just stand completely distinguished from the vast majority of superhero music we've heard over the last 15 years. Now, of course, the other is Daniel Pemberton's score for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Of course, I was lucky enough to talk to Daniel about this score, and <laughs> this is crazy. It is just such an absurd, extreme piece. It genre hops like mad, but it all works so well, and I don't understand how it works. I've talked to him about it, I've questioned him, interrogated him, and I still don't know. But it is just remarkable how, how it does. Again, it's a multiversal film where these places are extremely distinct that the film takes us to. And so the locales and some of the characters within them are incredibly distinct, unique, have utterly personal, personalized palettes, cues, melodies. It's all bespoke. There's so much time taken to make every single piece stand out from every other. And despite all of this, it works as if it were one stylistic score. I mean, this is just a remarkable, maybe it's calling it a landmark is too much, but it's exciting in how experimental it is, how far it pushes things. 
in what's otherwise an incredibly mainstream film that didn't very well at the box office. And so it's showing all of these people that film music can do anything, be anything, and it really pushes those boundaries. And so it's cool seeing so many people resonate with the score as well. And I'm hoping that it gets more mainstream films comfortable with doing something a bit different. Now, of course, maybe the biggest, most anticipated score of this period is John Williams' score for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now, first, I'm going to come out and say it. There are some moments in here that sound like they're ripped right out of his prior scores. Now, every composer, every film composer does this. It's just more obvious when Williams does because so much of his work is iconic, is foundational for all of modern film music, and are cues and themes and melodies that we've heard hundreds of times. Now, with that said, <laughs> this is an excellent score. It just sounds so good, it's so fun, it's so adventurous. Of course, nostalgia helps it in the fact that the prior material he's done, that Indiana Jones theme, for instance, these various other themes that we've heard over the years, are really good. Hell, sing really good under Selsa like crazy. They're incredible. And then he adds in Helena's theme in particular, new for the film, and it's unreal. It's so lush, it's so romantic. When people say that they miss or that there isn't enough of orchestral thematic theme music, the biggest piece missing is a theme like this. So many films used to have these gorgeous love themes, and while here it's, it's more than that, it's different than that, it is one thing that's missing from so many films. Now, one other score for a big film from this period is Brian Tyler's score for Fast 10, or Fast X. Weird that 10th Fast and Furious movie came out earlier this year, very soon, or, again, earlier this year, depending on when you listen. The 10th Saw installment is also coming out, or has come out. But anyways, this is another score that's probably a bit too long, but amidst that length, there's a really good showing of Tyler's range, so you do get a lot of more expected style of music, particularly these action cues. Then it starts getting a little more eclectic, and that's where I think it gets really interesting, exciting, intriguing, getting more contemporary-styled electronic EDM pop-styled music something that I know that Brian is increasingly interested in, in his non-media composing side of things. And it would be really cool to hear him continue to use those influences and increasingly do so in his music, because it's still not super common to hear. Now I'm going to start speeding up here, I'm, uh, as I do every single time, droning on a little bit. So, Devante Hines, Dev Hines, released the score for Master Gardener. And I'll take a step back and say, Paul Schrader's always been good at 
having interesting composers. His last three films, this sort of informal trilogy of first reformed card counter and now master gardener have all had three incredibly inspired choices of composer lustmord robert ben levin and now dev hines here there's it flitters between these really lovely caressing ambiances and a darkness a regret a lingering in the past it's excellent. I'm hoping that Heinz does more film music because I've I've thought everyone that he's done so far is excellent. Gabrielle Yared may be having the best year so far with his latest score, Lamore Le Forets. Earlier this year, he had Lenvol. Just another fantastic orchestral score, checking all the boxes and what you'd want to hear. There's love, desire, longing, and a fight for all of it, as if it's impossible to reach. Ariel Marks, someone I talked to quite a long time ago. It's been cool seeing her career continuing to grow. Here she has Sanctuary, which is a cool contrast where there's a, a sexiness and a playfulness. At times it's quite sultry, and at other times it's chaotic, noisier, dark, obviously doing a really good job matching, embodying, showcasing the conflict between these two main characters in a sort of sexual conflict, let's say. Chris Benstead's score for A Covenant, Guy Ritchie's latest film. It's a really cool collaboration because Benstead keeps doing these scores that feel like they don't belong in action films. Here it's like a string-laden dread, again reminiscent of his score for Wrath of Man, another Guy Ritchie film. They work really well. I'm loving this collaboration. Transformers Rise of the Beasts by Jongnik Bontemps, a very, very modern electronic processed palette with orchestral elements. Very percussive, very heavy. I think the second time I heard it, it clicked even more. This is an excellent modern action score. Elemental, great new animated piece by Thomas Newman. The highlight of it is how well he does this genre mix of Asian elements, folkier American elements, jazz, and then Newman's own personal flourishes. And it's really easy, and I hear it all the time, both from people and in music, of not handling non-traditional styles well, particularly if you're doing a style of music of or reminiscent of a place or a culture or a people. It can be hard to do or not done well. Here, I think, because it isn't the focus. It's one of several pieces. It feels tasteful and restrained. Carter Burwell randomly had a score that went very under the radar. It's super interesting because a lot of it's driven by guitar and solo piano. Strange instrument choices done really well through Burwell, unsurprisingly. It's a dour piece. It's draining. It sucks the energy and the life out of you, and it, it makes you certain that 
things aren't going to turn out well. Time and a place for that sort of score to listen to. If you're looking for something to uplift you, stay away from it. Instead, maybe listen to Alexander Desplat's score for Asteroid City. Like a lot of his Anderson scores, it's bedazzling, it's a lot of fun, there's something celestial and dreamlike. Downside being, it's like 15-20 minutes long, and only 6 tracks. Would have killed to have doubled it, but I'd much rather be left wanting more. This is a duo that continues to impress and deliver. And there's more on the way later this year. And now, of course, many good things to come. I've got a couple great guests lined up already for season four. And with every season, who knows who's going to join? I certainly don't. And it's one of the exciting things for me to find out as it progresses. Right around the corner, so sit back and the anticipation's going to pay off.